Hey everyone, I'm Tiffany Blackman and welcome to my so-called fabulous, my podcast. And thank you so much for listening today and watching us on YouTube. Great to see you and talk to you today. So how's it going out there? Life's a little crazy lately. Oh my goodness. Well, I am so excited today, bringing on so many fabulous guests now that we're out of quarantine. And um, we are now, you know, I am a mom. You, you know, last week I was a chef, but this week I'm a mom. I'm always a mom, but I'm explaining everyone that I am having my precious friend and sorority sister, not at the same time. No, no, no. one's as old as I am, right? <laughs> but Lynn Winter, everyone. Lynn, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. It's so great. to, and It's so great having you. And I, I want to explain to you all how we met. And you know, it's, it's kind of this crazy world that you meet on the internet. It really is. It is. And I'm going to talk about one of your BFFs on, yeah. but um, it's crazy because when I actually met you face to face, I was like, Hey, I, I know that girl. I know. I felt like we'd known each other for a long time. I know. So because it's our lives is, is so transparent <laughs> and well, we, we're not always what we are on the photos every day, but at all, right. but we are <laughs> right. Um, but we met at an event at a, as at a, that the collective, I right. believe, the collective right? in Fort Worth. We had a, a holiday event, so I met Lynn and I. I met we Arden Jenkins and Arden Jenkins was there too. That's yeah. right. So Arden and so when I met these gals, I you know you feel like you know each other, and we do. And I see on your social media what's going on, and you see on mine what's going on from day to day. And and you are an influencer. You are social media an influencer, blogger, and podcaster. I'm so excited to finally have a, my <laughs> first podcaster on here. Thank goodness. Yay. I know. It's yeah, fun to it kind of get to be on the other side of it, though. Isn't that the greatest I thing? Know. I know. So, um, so Lynn, you started blogging in 2011. Is that true? I did. It's been a long time. I started blogging in 2011. That's right after I graduated from law school and started practicing full time. And I started blogging to kind of um, chronicle this newness in my life. So I was not only newly married, um, I was also starting out on a new career path. And so it was a way to continue to have a creative outlet, um, but also get to talk about kind of what it was like to be a new baby lawyer and a newly, a newlywed and um, all of those things. So it's obviously since then turned and twist and gone many different ways as my life has kind of changed, but it's continued to just be a space for me to be able to have a creative outlet. I'm um, considering my job as a lawyer doesn't allow you a lot of room for that. For the creative energy, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Lynn, you went to TCU. We're both TCU alma maters and we talked about, we're both Alpha Chi Omega sisters oh. and, um, and my daughter Kennedy. And I'm thinking Evelyn, you're someday. You're, she you know, will. She legacy might, over there. You know, legacy, right? <laughs> She's four now or five. She's five. She just, she just turned, turned five. five. I know. That's right. It's crazy. Time is flying by. Time is flying by. So Lynn did a birthday parade for Evelyn. And then a couple of weeks later, I did one for Kennedy, which is 21, not five. Yeah, five, yeah. 21. Big, five, yeah, big yeah, yeah. milestones, but a little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different. Know, exactly. But beautiful, fabulous parades and just different way to celebrate our girls. And we both have only children. We do. So girl, ch only children. And that's a whole different podcast. But, um, oh, yeah. but you know, so you went to TCU um, and then went on to law school. What was your graduate? What, what was your undergraduate degree? Uh, my degree is in political science. I'm a minor in history. I'm mean, actually delayed going to law school. I actually worked at TCU for three years um, before I went to Texas Tech to go to law school. Really? Kennedy's yeah. a political science. Yeah. Yeah. So, and everyone asked her that same question. Yeah. Are you going to law school? And she says no right now. Good. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. You are tell you her to come talk to me and yeah. I'll tell her, don't do yeah. it. <laughs> but what an accomplishment. What an amazing accomplishment, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that. I think if you're going to do it, the way I did it is the way to do it. I didn't go right out. Um, I made sure that it was the career and the life choice that I wanted to make rather than going, I don't know what else to do. So I'll go to law school. Right. <laughs> um, it really was a conscious decision to leave um, a full-time career where I was independent and making money and go back to be a student um, in order to basically start all over. Wow. Mm -hmm. So what did you do for TCU? So I worked in the office of donor relations. I actually was a student worker in that office for um, all four years that I was at TCU. And I went full-time there in December of 2005. So just a little under 
four months after I graduated, they created a new position in that office um, that I stepped into and was an event planner um, for them first for their annual giving um, gift society, the Clark Society. And then after a year, I took on the scholarship stewardship role where I ran our entire scholarship stewardship program. So all of the endowed scholarships at TCU and the big scholarship dinner we put on and making sure that the students write their thank you notes and matching students with endowed scholarships. Um, I took on that role and absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. Um, but I also got to know so many people, um, that invest not only their money, but their time into TCU. And it just, um, instilled in me a bigger love, um, and more purple blood than ever. I mean, definitely. Well, um, Greg, my husband, Greg and I have gone to the scholarship dinner for years and the Clark society for years. And we appreciate everyone, everything you do, because when you scholarship, we don't choose who right. the, and people think that that's right. That, they do. And that's not, and it goes committee and yeah, there's, I mean, we look at the criteria obviously that the scholarship was set up on, but then we go through all of our students and we try to find the best match of not only the criteria that was set forward, but a student that we also think um, is worthy of that scholarship. And also that we can connect them with our donors because yes. we think that that relationship is so important. Um, and I know that firsthand because I was at TCU on a very generous scholarship and I got to know my scholarship donors and it really made me um, more humbled and to know that the people behind why I got to attend a university that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford. Well, and that's that's so very true. And meeting each of these scholarships and they've all been girls, they've all been female and we keep up with several of them. Yeah. I do social media wise. What amazing young women. I mean, coming from all over the world doing, and they've all been sport related mm-hmm. for us, um, but just couldn't make it without their donors. Right. Yeah. You know? So, so Lynn, what do you say to the young men and women that are looking at the tuition because we just paid for summer school yeah. and um, for Kennedy, what do you say to the young men and women that are in high school that just it's, it's a, it's a re they can get in. They can get into TCU, which is difficult, but the financial, what do you say to that person? I I think the best thing I can do is say I was in your shoes. Um, I'm a first generation college student. Um, I was raised predominantly by a single mom um, who told me, you know, I want you to go to college, but you're going to have to figure out how to pay for it. And she said, I want you to go wherever you want to go, dream big but think about how you're going to afford that. And I knew for me that meant getting good grades. So I'd be able to have scholarships to help pay for that. But I also knew that there was going to be a loan aspect of it. And I looked at it as an, it is an investment. Um, in my future. And even looking at TCU versus all the other colleges and universities, um, that I could have gone to. And I looked at where, where was this going to take me? It's so much more than the four years you're on campus. It's the rest of your life. And I looked at it as an investment in, um, my future career in my network of people in the values and morals that were poured into me while I was on campus. And if that's worth it, you figure out how to make it happen. Exactly. You do. And I think one of the wonderful things about TCU and lots of other colleges and universities is they're there to help you. If you truly want to be there, they'll help you find the way to make it affordable for you and to figure out how to make it work financially for your family. So you grew up in the DFW area. You, you, um, your, your parents transferred Mm -hmm. and moved from Pennsylvania Mm When you were four? Is that younger than that? So my parents moved down to Pennsylvania right before I turned two. So the summer before I turned You were two, little. I was little. So we're like summer of nineteen eighty-four. Okay. Eighty four, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, is when they moved down here. My mom came down here um for work, like at a conference. She worked at a small college up in Pennsylvania, came down to Texas for a conference, came back home and said, We're moving because there's heat and 
and there's not snow. <laughs> oh, and yeah, and the cost of living was left less. And there were she just saw it as a new opportunity to kind of start over with her family. And so she put my brother and I into her car and my uncle came down with us as well. And then my um, father came down after that. Right. And we settled in Arlington, Texas. Um, and that's kind of where we were um, until we moved to Duncanville later. We um, moved to Duncanville. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so well, you growing up, so, you know, since you were very, very young in the DFW area, was TCU like on your radar the entire time? Or? TCU was never on my radar. You're kidding. It really um, didn't become a blip on my radar until I was a junior in college. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, if most people who knew me knew, um, growing up that I wanted to go to Texas tech and I wanted to twirl there and be a feature twirler. Um, That's right. Yeah. I, twirling had been such a big part of my life and I had grown up knowing most of the Texas tech twirlers. My twirling teacher went to Texas tech. I idolized some of those twirlers. And so that for me was like the Holy grail of going to twirl and was going to Texas Tech um, and twirling. And then as I was in college more, I started dating a boy and oh, his sister. There it is. There, is, there it is. I know. <laughs> his sister was at TCU. He was going to TCU and suddenly TCU was on the radar. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so I often tell people that it is one of the best worst mistakes I ever made in my life <laughs> because you should never Never follow a boy, Never. right? But had I not followed that boy and figured out um, how to pay for TCU, I would never um, have been given the opportunities that I have, I would not be the same person that I am. Um, and so I, I guess I always call it the best worst decision I ever made. And that's something. So yeah. now you, and I, and I get that. One of my best friends twirled at Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, let me tell you, purple blood in that family. But that yeah. was the t the twirler. It was the holy grail of, it is. You, you know, so going to Texas at the time. So that, and she's a little older than I am, but she says, you know, and she, she really does. She bleeds purple, yeah. you know, her whole family. But, um, so not going to tech, you just didn't try out. This was your junior here in high school, right? Yeah. I just, um, this, the more I was with this particular boy Lord. who, I mean, bless his soul, he's married and has like four kids and we are still friendly. Um, but, um, I realized that I wanted to twirl, but I wanted to follow this boy. And so, more though, more yeah, so. TCU though had not had a twirler in a while and they were actually kind of very against having a twirler. Um, they'd had some bad experiences oh. with some previous twirlers and really twirling moms. Um, oh. <laughs> I know, I know. And so when I wanted to twirl at TCU, um, I was blessed in that. Um, Dr. Francis, who's the head of bands there had actually known me since I was quite small because he ran a band camp at UTA along with my twirling teacher. And I went in and I said, um, I will do, I'm a member of the band first. I just want to twirl. I don't care if you want me to twirl from my toes on the goalpost, I will do whatever it is, but this has been my dream. Can you find a spot for me? And he said, okay, we'll try it. And there were some caveats to it. Um, I only got to twirl at pregame my freshman year. I had to do color guard, which I had never touched a big tall flag in my entire life, but Bigger I said, than you. right. I was like, but you know what, if that's what it takes for me to get to do something that I absolutely love at this university that I had now fallen in love with, right. then I'll do it. And, um, I absolutely loved that experience because every year, um, I got to twirl a little bit more and a little bit more till my senior year. Um, you know, I got to twirl at pregame and halftime and bowl games and basketball games and other events. And it really laid the foundation for baton twirlers to come back to TCU. And we have had consistently, um, at least two, um, and sometimes three twirlers at TCU since then. And we've had one that has taken from my same teacher there every year since me, except for maybe two or three years. So it really restarted the tradition there. Wow. Um, and it makes me proud, but I also become kind of a mama bear about them when I'm like, you don't understand y'all. Like right. <laughs> here's what happens. So you need, you're a representative of, you know, twirling and, and this university. And so I just, I love it. I love that I've gotten to see so many young, 
young women fulfill their dreams on the field um, and to watch twirling kind of make a comeback in the state of Texas because I feel like it was a dying sport for a while. So to see that resurgence has been amazing. And now, obviously, to watch my own daughter start twirling has been oh, I love pretty the fun. I, I know. know. I know. So what year was that when you when you you put the life, yeah, life reserve I, on it? I started twirling in 2001 at TCU. So I twirled from 01 um, to that football season of 04. Um, and then since then, there has been consistently a, oh, yeah. a twirler. And you know, I didn't even think about it because I've known a couple of twirlers through the years. <laughs> and um, I didn't realize that. I didn't yeah. realize we had a little hiatus. We did for a little while. Um, and so now it's just been, it's been amazing to watch it come back. Oh, so. and I know. And you're teaching. Teaching, you're teaching dance. And- I do. I teach dance um, at a studio here in Fort Worth, Studio of Movement. I kind of fell into that. I was so blessed by Meg letting me come on, and she also supported um, bringing baton twirling to the studio. So now that program has grown. I've got seven students of my own. They are my children, um, and I love them. And I love getting to share um, this sport that helped shaped me really into the woman that I am today. Not only the lessons that it taught me, but also the fact that it introduced me to my twirling teacher who, um, is such an important woman in my life and truly is, um, is a, is a savior and an angel in my life too. So that's amazing. Well, I love hearing that. I love seeing E. I know she <laughs> compete in these twirling competitions. I know she's got a virtual one coming up on June 20th. Oh so we'll see how that goes. I know I can, I can imagine as a mommy, you're back there doing it for me. Like, dear, dear. It, it's a push pull. Cause it's that like, you're the mom, but you're also the teacher. And it's like, right. push pull. So, I, know. I know. So I have to, to remember just to be mom. So I'm going back and I listen to Life in Motion, yeah. your wonderful podcast. I love it and the transparency. And and you teach me, um, you know, at 54, am I 54 or 55? I can't even remember. Do I, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's all right. Let's say 50-ish. So like at this it. age, you know, it, it's, I have so much history. I have a lot of history. And sometimes I think, should I be this transparent? But yes. And the first time I listened, I remember my husband and I were listening. I was getting ready and listening to your, after your trailer. So I think it was number two mm-hmm. and it's me. And you were so tramp. You are, I mean, please go listen to Life in Motion. But Lynn, you are so, I just admire you so much because you were in the face of Fort Worth. You are, you work um, for the city of Fort Worth and an assistant an attorney at, for the city of Fort Worth and civil rights. And um, from where you, your history, and we all have history. I mean, and people that say they don't have negative history, liars. <laughs> yes. They probably have more than yeah, they want to tell you. they realize you, you yeah. just have it hidden. Uh-huh. But, you know, if, if I can walk you down that road and back down that road. So you moved from Pennsylvania and a single mom mm-hmm. and I've been a single mom, but this, this isn't, this isn't the single mom like, like you went through. So you, you relocated. It's exciting move. You're going to swimming pools and, and, and you and your mom and dad. So you moved down and your life behind the doors was not what it seemed on the outside. By no stretch of the imagination was it what um, people saw on the forefront or really what I understood. Um, When my mom moved to Texas, um, my mom and my dad were already divorced, um, but they moved here and I think they tried to start over and to make a a go of it again. So it was, you know, my mom and my, I have a half brother um, and also my biological father, so not my dad's biological father. And we were this family unit. And from all, everything that I understood for a long time is that we were this happy family. And I didn't know that my parents were divorced. I didn't really know that my dad was not my brother's biological dad. Um, and I didn't really understand, um, that there was so much turmoil, um, and violence and just any of that going on. I think when you're so young, one, my mom did a very good job of sheltering me from that. Um, but two, I think when you're young, you just, you don't see some of those things, or if you see them, you, you don't know any different. You think that that's what's normal because that's all you've ever been exposed to. Um, it's the normal. It is the normal. Um, it's, it's what I knew is normal. Um, and so it went on like that for, you know, quite a long time. Um, and 
you know, until right before I turned nine, um, my mom met somebody else, um, at our apartment complex. She decided to marry this gentleman. And that's when this huge shift changed in my life. You know, one, I realized my parents were not married. Um, I know (laughs) Two, now my dad has moved out. My mom has married this very, this much younger guy. And now I'm split between two homes and trying to navigate a new normal. And, um, I learned a lot more about what was really going on in that relationship between my mom and my dad. I realized that my dad was an alcoholic and, an a womanizer and an abusive person. And he didn't take very well to the fact that, you know, my mom was trying to move on. Um, and I've told this story, but you know, two days before my ninth birthday, you know, my dad was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder. Um, he basically hired a hitman to kill my mom and my then stepdad. And, um, I think somewhere in this plan was to kind of kidnap me and take me back to Pennsylvania where his family was. Um, and this played out very publicly, um, in Arlington, Texas, oh, where we wow. were on the news mm-hmm. and in the newspaper and a trial um, and everything. And I mean, that is the instant that I realized that what I lived in and what I'd experienced was so far from normal, but I also realized that there is no concept of normal, right? Nobody really has a normal life. Exactly. It doesn't exist. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. what you're conditioned to think and believe, yeah. you know, that's what's so amazing. And when you, how, how did you find out? I mean, you were nine years old. So what is that? Gosh, third grade? Yeah, it was third grade. Um, I was told by uh, my twirling teacher, like I said, she's this, um, unsung hero. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she is. Um, you know, she had really been such an integral part of my life and, you know, she told me what was going on, um, and tried to explain it to me, um, the best that she could so that I could understand it. Um, I think my mom just didn't know what to say. Um, the words weren't there for her and I get it. Um, now being a mom, um, I know for a long time I resented that. Um, but I know that she was just trying to do the best that she could, but, um, having that explained to me, um, and it really didn't hit me the magnitude of what that meant until I was supposed to have this birthday party. I mean, you're nine years old and you know, I had lots of friends at our school and there was nobody there except for our one good friend. And I think that's when it hit me that, oh, I'm suddenly different. Right. The door has been open to this closet um, of what's been going on in our life and people don't like it or people are scared of it or people don't know what to say or do. And for me, it was, I didn't understand what I had done wrong. Why didn't people want to come celebrate my birthday? Right. Not understanding that it it had nothing to do with me. It had something to do with a decision that my father made. But it took me a really long time to understand that, that mm-hmm. it wasn't anything that I had done. And I did not have to shoulder that burden. I was not him. I was not his mistakes or his decisions. I was not my mother's mistakes or my mother's decisions that these things happened to me and not because of me. Exactly. Um, And that took so long for me to understand and to be comfortable with. Um, But I look at it now and it's not that I wear it like this badge of honor, but I look at it like this bullet hole that I am proud that it's there, but I always know it's there and I never forget it because that allows me to not become complacent. What is your relationship with your mom? So, um, my mom and I will say we have a much better relationship now um, than we did for a really, really long time. I think there was a lot of animosity and anger between us because I think she kept things from me and I know it's because she was trying to protect me. Sure. Um, and she didn't know how much was enough to tell. And I think in a way she was, um, probably embarrassed too, that she let 
this, these things happen. Um, and so we had a lot of anger and a lot of animosity and a very tense relationship. I mean, all the way through, I mean, high school, I've told this story to some friends before. Once my brother left and graduated from high school and went to the military and it was just my mom and I in this house and I was in high school and that teenage angst. And I'd really never had any confines or rules because I never broke any rules. And suddenly my mom was trying to put down rules and be this motherly figure. And I will never forget her trying to keep me from leaving the house one day and her like having a hold of like my ponytail. And I remember walking into the kitchen and like pulling out scissors and I'm like, I'll just cut it off and walk away. (laughs) I mean, because (laughs) I know (laughs) y'all. Yeah. Right. Right. And I mean, I can see that now, but I think it's because we were both hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but we didn't know how to mend that relationship. Right. She didn't know what to say. I wasn't going to listen. I'm 16, 17, 18. Oh gosh, no. I wasn't old enough to understand. Um, and I had to be, I'd had to be an adult so long in my childhood that I missed a lot of that. So for my mom to suddenly come in and want to parent me, I was very resistant to that because I'd been the adult in our family for a long time. I was the one that was getting myself up for school. I was the one motivating myself to do well and all of those things. Um, because I didn't have, you know, that in my home. And so I think it was just that butting of heads. Um, and it continued, um, even until college and I mean, even into, you know, adulthood, early adulthood. Right. And I think now, um, we are at this point where we can talk about it and I'm so very blessed that we can. Um, I don't think we will never have a traditional mother daughter relationship that you, that I want to have with my daughter, but I think we have a mutual respect for each other where we are not afraid to say anything to the other one and we can be mad and angry and talk about it. And I'm okay with that because it's this open dialogue. And I can see now, especially as I've become a mother, that so much of what she did was to protect us um, and to do what she thought was best for us. Um, And I think you can really only understand that once you become a mom. Oh, yeah. And so I find myself a lot of time I'm saying, you know, I don't agree with the way you did it. I won't parent that way, but I respect your decision. Sure. And so I think that mutual respect between us now um, is something that I probably value and treasure more than I would a traditional mother-daughter relationship because I think it's something that a lot of um, young women want. And we've got that and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, So can you, can you remember the age range your mother was when she, when they moved and she met her, her new husband, um, her boyfriend, her new husband, what age ish was she? Um, So my mom was like 41, 42. um, And the boy, I'll call him a boy, boy (laughs) she married was 21 years younger than her. So, um, to give you some context here, you've got, you know, I'm nine, my brother at that point would have been 11. So my brother is closer in age to the new stepdad than, you know, the stepdad is to my mom. Exactly. So that created just a perfect storm, a perfect storm of, you know, think about 11 year old, 12 year old boys, 13 year old boys with a 21 year old boy. I mean, they are, and it's just that a butting of heads uh, versus my mom who just wants to be loved and wants to try to create this new family. And I mean, it literally was a perfect storm exactly um, for things to just go drastically wrong. Um, and they did, there were, I mean, there were some heated tough times in that house sure. between mostly my brother, uh, you know, and my stepdad at the time. I mean, they just, um, but heads a lot. And part of it was because my brother had been the head of the household. He'd been the man right. of the house. He was, he is, he is to this day, um, the protector of my mom and of me, um, and even of, of E. And I think for someone else to try to want to come in and take that role, it was never going to work. No, 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 um, no. and it was hard. I, my mom was in that rock and hard place and I get it. Um, but it made for some very, very tense years until that relationship ended and we moved again to Duncanville. And I think that was really at the point where we kind of got to start over, mm-hmm. um, and have a real chance at being a, a family unit of the three of us. And not to say that there still weren't struggles oh, sure. and issues. Um, but I think that is probably the healthiest our family relationship was besides now. Right. And so, yeah, you know, um, I think about the reason I asked you about your mom's age. So 
through my history. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm 54, five, we haven't figured that out yet, but, um, not yeah, yeah, not point. Wait. <laughs> so when Kennedy was in high school, so I'm 20 years older than her ish. I am. So the time she was going through high school, you, you know, hormones and, mm-hmm. and oozing hormones and, and, and social, and she was cheering and, and dealing with ADHD and, you know, college admissions, I'm perimenopause. So you've mm-hmm. got two women oh, yeah. in the house that are going through that. And I think about your mom. Oh yeah. That's exactly what she was going through. Yeah. Yeah. She was going through that. Mm-hmm. You don't know who you are. You're not married. And then, you know, and then you're trying to create this perfect house. You don't even know who you are. No, I know. And I think, I think the other thing too, is as I got older and I went into my teens and my mom and I were together, it was, we had never, she had never been alone. Right. So she really, she had this identity crisis. Well, who am I? And who am I in relation to other people? And who am I to my children? Um, and I think that was hard for her. I think she wanted to be a good mom. She was doing the best that she could. Um, but I think she also realized that, oh, well, you know, they kind of have raised themselves a little bit. Or, you know, in my case, I had this amazing relationship with my twirling teacher um, who, to me, I look at as that role model and that mother figure. And I think that was probably really hard for my mom um, to know that um, I had that strong relationship and I probably respect her opinion and and her advice more than I did my mom's because it was more stable for me. Sure. You know, it was more of the sure thing. And I think there was that push pull um, of my mom. I don't think she would ever tell you that she was jealous of it, but I know being a mom now, I would certainly have been jealous of it. Um, yeah. And so I think that was hard for her too. And, you know, when I was a teenager too, and I was, um, exploring relationships, but I had never had a model of a healthy relationship ever, ever in my life. And so that I watched that just spill into my, you know, young adult life and how I approached relationships. Um, and I can look back now and go, Oh yeah, I can tell you exactly what I was doing. You want to talk about daddy issues? They were right here. And I, I watched that spill into it, um, as I got older and I, so much want to uh, make sure that my daughter has a different look at it, that she sees different relationships and that behavior is modeled for her because I didn't have that. Um, and I saw it in friends homes and things like that, but it's so different when it's not in your immediate home. Um, and you have those abandonment issues and you know, all of those different things. So, um, I mean, like I said, I know she did the best that she could, Mm -hmm. um, at the time, but I know that it was, it was hard. Right. Yeah. And your dad? Um, so my dad was um, in jail until I was 21 years old. Uh, he got released um, right after my 22nd birthday, actually, right before I went to London. My last semester at TCU, um, I did TCU in London. Um, he was released right before that. But I didn't have any contact with him. And the first time I saw him, I was 26 years old. Wow. I was 26 years old. Um, I met him for lunch at a Cheddar's in Irving, Texas. <laughs> I bet you remember what you were wearing. Too. Oh, I can remember everything. Um, I wasn't married to my first husband, but we were um, together at the time and he was with me. And um, I can remember sitting there and ordering the salad and I didn't eat a bite of it. And I remember thinking, these are all the things I want to say, all that anger and animosity that I wanted to just spew at this man who I blamed for so many wrong things in my life or so many um, situations. And I remember sitting there and not being able to say very many words. And it's like this anger just like flooded out of me. And all I could feel was like pity, like you, I feel bad for you because you are not worthy of my anger and my emotion because you did this to your, to it. You missed all of these things. Mm-hmm. Here's what you missed. You missed this amazing woman who has accomplished so many things in spite of you. And I just, it, it was this amazing feeling, um, to just that, to feel that anger, just leave right. and just look at him and just feel sorry for him. Right. Um, 
And I realized that it, it, he wasn't worth all that emotion and anger that instead I was going to just look at it as, you know, I am here because, you know, there's a piece of you that made me, but you are not me. I am not you. Um, and look what you missed. Right. 100%. And, yeah. Uh, look what you missed and look what he's missing now. And yeah, that's, yeah. I know people ask me now, they're like, do you have a relationship with him now? And I don't, um, I will receive the odd and out like holiday card or Christmas card. Um, my husband has never met him. Evelyn has never met him. That will never happen. Um, I know that he exists. Um, I know that in his heart, he's sorry for what he's done. Um, and how that's affected everybody else, but I choose just to not have him be a part of my life. Um, and I'm okay with that. Um, and that's my choice. And it's, it's interesting because my brother who my, my dad legally adopted my brother. So it's legally his father has a different look on it. We've discussed this. Yeah. This man who in my, you know, memory was just horrible to my brother. Um, you know, he looks at it completely different. Um, and I think that that's the beauty of family and it being able to have different approaches is, you know, my brother goes, you know, Lynn, he's an old man and he's been through this much and he's forgiven. And I choose to, you know, have somewhat of a relationship and I respect my brother for that. Um, and so I find it different for two people who grew up in the same home to be able to have two different views on something. Um, And I think it's different. It's interesting too, because he is not even related by blood. Um, And he's, you know, a boy versus me being a girl. So it's just so interesting. And we talk about that a lot. Um, But we respect each other's um, opinions on that. Um, And maybe someday it will change. Maybe it won't. But right now that's my decision and my choice. And Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Um, when were you, when did you, and, and I, I have a, I have a story here, but when did you finally say, I am going to, or maybe you did immediately did, was there a time of suppression that you didn't talk about this, that it, that, that those bad times, you put it in a vault and locked it and threw away the key. And then was there a time like that? Oh yeah. That was most of my life. Um, I, so many people had no clue, um, about my history. And especially when we, um, left Arlington and we moved to Duncanville, um, I was like, I'm going to start over. Nobody will know, um, anything about me. I get to create whatever life and persona that I wanted. Um, and I didn't want people to know because I was embarrassed. Um, I also um, was taught that don't let people know because then they'll judge you right. for those things. You know, that behavior was modeled. So I didn't talk about it ever. Um, and when people asked me, you know, where my dad was, I just said, oh, you know, he's just not in our life. Um because of what I had been told, taught and too, like, I just, I was embarrassed for it. Mm-hmm. Like, what would people think? And I also think it's, it's where I was. I'm in that early adolescence and then I'm in high school. And the last thing you want to do is be different. Oh, yes. all I wanted right. to do was be normal. Yeah. Blend in. And blend in and be accepted because I was already different because I was being raised by a single mom in a community where that was not you know, the, the predominant, um, I had a brother who is of mixed race. Um, that was different. Um, and so I think I, anything I could do to just not draw attention to those things that already stood out, I did. And I just didn't talk about it. And it really took until my early twenties, um, that I was comfortable with that. And I realized that suppressing it and lying about it, all it had done is eaten away at me. Yes. Um, and created this anger and <laughs> within me that I didn't know how to control. Um, it kept me from being truly available emotionally to anyone and not just men, um, but also in friendships, um, because there was always this part that nobody really got to know. Um, and it was lonely. It was very lonely. And it was not until, um, I was in my early twenties. I, um, competed in the Miss Texas organization as a way to help raise scholarship money to pay for school. And I took domestic violence as my platform. And I realized that, 
this was who I was. And now was the time that I got to be my own person and I could tell this story the way I wanted to. And then I realized what an amazing platform I had. Mm-hmm. And people were so surprised. Um, that I kept all of this, um, you know, bottled up, but they were like, Oh, I had no idea. And I realized what an injustice and a disservice I was doing to other people who were dealing with these same things and felt like they had to be ashamed or embarrassed. Yes. I was doing such a disservice. Um, and I realized that I had a voice and if I affected just one person and I made one other person feel like they weren't alone, then it was worth any bit of embarrassment or a side glance by somebody who thought differently of me. And I realized too, that if people in my circle decided they no longer wanted to associate with me because of that, they weren't worth my time. No, so be it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, Lynn, I don't know if, um, and I said this in my very first podcast, Mm -hmm. I kind of had a coming out like you did. And so at my age, I hid a secret for a very, very long time. I, uh, I had a first marriage Mm -hmm. and I waited until my daughter, I think Kennedy was 16 when I finally told her, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a long time. (laughs) And I only told a handful, my family knew and, um, my, a handful of friends, like, just a handful. Some of them weren't even my best friends. I guess I just knew that they wouldn't judge me. So, and and the first marriage ended tragically. He murdered someone in jail. I dealt with that whole thing. Embarrassed beyond words. I was just out of college. Um, So embarrassed. There was abuse. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was, I mean, you talk about abuse and cheating and, and um, I grew up in a great home. I mean, fabulous parents, you know, I, I, I got a scholarship to TCU back back in the day, and I just didn't tell anyone. And I it ate just a hole in my stomach and heart. And like, I am an honest person. I mean, I am a thousand percent honest person. And I'll never forget on this podcast saying saying um, I get really emotional about it, but saying. Um, Greg, I'm so in love with my husband. We've been married since 2011 and he's my third husband. And I said it and I couldn't believe I said it. And the number of texts and emails and phone calls that I got from people in my life, I am so sorry because I feel like, like you, a disjustice because there are people, Alpha Chi Omega, domestic violence. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, our sorority, I just look at the people that, there was something to me that people couldn't get past. Uh-huh. Like th- there's something that we couldn't get to know the real Tiffy. Boy, y'all got me now. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got me now. Yeah. But, but you know, it's it was liberating. And with my daughter, I will never forget this. Uh, have you talked to Evelyn about this at all? Uh, She's too young, right? Right, yeah. Okay. So I was telling Kennedy, I remember we went on a little mom-daughter weekend and I just was holding my breath and her dad knew, her dad, and she's like, mom's got something to tell me. I don't know what she's telling me. And so I told her and we were and we were just watching TV and I told her I stopped and I'm crying and she goes, mom, that's too bad. So what are we doing tomorrow? I'm like, isn't it crazy? And I was like, but Kennedy, do you understand like what happened? She goes, mom, I am so sorry. I mean, please let me know if I can help you. But what are we doing tomorrow? Yeah. I, you don't hate me. Yeah. No. We build up what we think other people are oh. going to think of us so much. We give that so much weight oh. that we can't, we can't breathe um, no. at all because you're so afraid. Yeah. When I think so many people, once I was, you know, told people about it, and it's even the same thing, you know, I was married before my husband now, and there were people who didn't know that either. And when they found that out, they're like, oh, okay. Good. Like, yeah. Because I think then they realize, like, you have faults. Yeah. Um, I think because for, I mean, growing up the way I did, all I wanted to do is be perfect because I didn't want anybody to judge me. So if I didn't do anything bad and I was the perfect student and the perfect daughter and perfect here, and I think it tore down that wall mm-hmm. and people went, okay, I trust you. Yeah. I get you. Mm-hmm. Um, I see you. And I think for a lot of my friends who's, who heard that were like, that explains so much sure. of why we felt like we could never really know you completely. Well, you couldn't because I kept no. such a big part of me hidden from people. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it, like I said, now, you know, now I, I love to tell that story in hopes that someone hears it and it gives them permission yes. to be vulnerable. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that is the perfect way to put it. And, you know, I was re, I was listing earlier, so your accomplishments, and I saw you did a story on Instagram a week or so ago about a pageant. <laughs> I was the pageant girl too. Yeah. We went to TCU. Uh-huh. I swore I was going to dance at TCU. Um, you know, Miss Texas pageant. Uh-huh. The I, I don't know what it is. There's something about us that we still need to be accepted, uh-huh. and but we tried so hard during this time frame. But it's just an interesting, those of you that are struggling with something that's hidden in your heart, I mean, I invite you to, it feels so much better. It is. It's like the first, I can remember the first time I completely told the entire story because um, I told bits and pieces of it, but I will never forget the first time I told my entire story and I did it in a very public setting and I got done with it and, you know, people came up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I can't, I mean, you've must've told this story a million times. And I was like, I've actually never told this entire story. <laughs> and people were like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I go, it felt so good mm-hmm. because I could immediately feel that weight lifted off right. of me. Right. Um, and I felt like I immediately was so much more connected to people and to myself. Right. Um, right. And I was, it was, it was just such a, a, something I needed to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I invite everyone to, and it's not that easy. Trust me. It's, it's not. It's not, we're making, I'm not making light of it, but no, so, it's very hard, you know, and after my first marriage and how it, it tragically ended and I'm so happy it ended and that that when you're abused and mm-hmm. you don't want that's and you hide it from everyone, you know, um, you know, a d- domestic violence is you hiding it. People and, always wonder, well, I mean, I never saw because uh, victims do such a good job, a great job. It. And everyone loved him. And mm-hmm. so, um, I don't like him, but, um, so, you know, after that, the men in my life, I dated several people. Um, I think I was like a serial dater, but you even said when you went to tech, you went to, you, that's when you were first married, correct? Or you had a boyfriend. Uh, yeah, I was um, dating my first husband when I went to law school. I'm at tech. We dated for five years. We got married in between my third year of law school. So in that semester break is when we finally got married. Right. Um, and we were only married for two years. Um, it's your gimme. Everybody has a gimme. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's so funny. And um, at first I was like, oh, I just, I don't want to be that divorced person that where I couldn't make it work. Cause you know, my mom has been married three times and I just didn't want that. Um, but I realized that neither one of us were happy. Like right. why go through life where neither one of you are happy when you are going to be so much happier when you are with different people. And it's, and I think we just grew apart. I think, you know, we met when I was 23 years old and the person I was at 23 versus when we got divorced at 30. Wow. was, yeah, because we were together for five years and then married for two. So think about from 23 to 30. Oh my goodness. I was such a different person. Not Mm -hmm. only was I more mature, but I had gone to law school. I had come to terms with my past and my father and that story. I was comfortable with it. Um, And I just looked at the world differently. Um, I no longer needed the safety and the security and the stability that I thought that a man was supposed to bring me. Right. Um, and I realized that I needed somebody who not necessarily to take care of me, but to build me up, Right. you know, and to support me in whatever it was that I wanted to do. When for so long, I thought I needed somebody who was going to take care of me you know, and I realize that's not, and, and there's, he is an, a wonderful, amazing man and he is married to a wonderful, amazing woman and they are happy and I am happy Sure. and I'm happy for him, but I'm also happy for that relationship because of the things it taught me. He did ta- teach me to be proud of who I was, um, that I am smarter than I give myself credit for. Um, I would not have gone to law school if it hadn't been for him pushing me and telling me I was worthy and smarter and I needed to do bigger and better things. Um, he taught me to be more fiscally and financially responsible. Um, and so I take those lessons from it and, and I give him credit where credit's due. Did it hurt? Was it hard? Yes. Was I embarrassed? Yes. Um, but I'm better because of it. I'm happier. I've got my beautiful daughter, my amazing husband in this life that we've built and I wouldn't change it for the world. No. And you know, people do. And I, and I always tell listeners, you know, 
You build your life on mistakes Mm -hmm. and successes, of course, but mistakes, um, I've learned from every one of them. Have I made them a couple of times? Yes, I did. Repeat offender. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Exactly. And you know, um, when I came out of that, that my first marriage, I had such a trust, a trust issue and the trust issue was so... You know, I would just, I would date wonderful men, wonderful men, and then I would leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, like flee. Oh, See right ya. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flee and, or cheat or, mm-hmm. or I would sabotage the relationship because you're going to leave me anyway. Right. So I'm going to do it first. So I'm in control. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I mean, and that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I see some friends of mine, I see some friends of my, you know, colleagues and I see what you're doing. I know because I've been there and I, and I, I have to say Dr. Pam Monday and Austin, I, she's been my therapist for a very long time and just, you know, she just, she just, she doesn't call any BS. I mean, she's just, she does call me. She's like, you're no, yeah. <laughs> you got, you know, she's one of those therapists. Yeah. And thank goodness I had her because I finally went, oh my gosh, I'm right. Have these wonderful people in my life. And they weren't the right one at the, you know, for right. now, but, but you just go, I was sabotaging a relationship mm-hmm. and that's something. Yeah. And it's, oh yeah. I, mean, I watched myself do it too. And it wasn't until I realized like I was worthy of their love. And I think that's part of it. One, it's a control thing. Yes. I want to be able to control stuff because I was unable to control so much of my life, but I never felt worthy of it. Right. And so finding that self-worth just was the best thing I ever did. Absolutely. So it takes time. But, um, but yeah, you got to trust in yourself. You have to be not afraid to put yourself out there, um, and realize that the only thing that you can control is yourself. So you're a mommy. I'm a mom, Mm -hmm. a mommy. You'll always be a mommy. mommy. Exactly. (laughs) So how has it, how has this, um, because I, it's a double, double edged sword, my history Mm -hmm. being a mom, tell me how is it? Because I mean, you're determined to be the mess, the mom. I mean, because you're, this will not happen to your baby. I mean, so how, how has this formed your being a mother? Yeah. It's had such a huge, huge impact on the way I've approached motherhood. Um, I, when I've, first found out I was pregnant with Evelyn. And the first thing I thought was, I'm not going to be like my own mom. And I realized I am, I -hmm. am going to be like my own mom because that's where I learned to be a mom part of it. And there was nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think what I, I want to do is make sure that Evelyn always knows that I support her. I love her no matter what, when she messes up, I love her. Mm-hmm. When she triumphs, I love her. Um, and that she is surrounded by people who love her, who want to see her succeed. Um, and that no matter who she becomes, I will love that too. Um, and I think, cause I think that's a lot of what I was missing was knowing that I was okay, just the way I was. Right. I didn't need to be anybody else to make somebody proud of me. Right. Um, that I made people proud just by being me. Um, and I think that's the one thing I want her to know. Um, she doesn't have to do the same things that I do. I know people go, Oh, well, don't you want her to twirl? I'd love it. But if she doesn't want to, right. that's fine. And I tell her that all the time. If she doesn't want to dance, that's fine. Right. Um, and I think we have to remember that as parents is we have to make sure that our children get to be their own people and tell them that we love them no matter who they Unconditionally. are and model the behavior we want them to emulate down the road. So it is modeling a good, healthy marriage between my husband and I showing her how to argue with love. My husband and I don't always get along, but showing her that you can still disagree with somebody, but you can do that in a loving way. Right. Um, that she can have different opinions and thoughts and I respect them. I might not agree with them and we may not still get to do it the way the five-year-old wants to do it, exactly. but I see her and I hear her and I value her so that she understands that that's how she needs to treat everybody else too. You need to see them and hear them. You may not agree with them, but you can respect them. Um, and just to learn that when it comes down to it, she's got to love herself first. Exactly. 100%. That she cannot love anybody else or pour into anybody else if she doesn't love and pour into herself no. first. If your love bank isn't full. 
Right. Exactly. Right. I um, and I think, I know, I just felt chills. <laughs> I know. Like I've got to, I, I want her to know that so much um, because I think it took me a really long time to realize that, that Absolutely. I was worthy of being loved just the way I was. Exactly. And someday somebody was going to come along who loved me just the way I was. And I am so very blessed with my husband in my life who loves me for all of the random things I start doing. And he's like, okay, Okay. Okay. (laughs) you know, and, and he, he instills that in Evelyn too. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want to try it? Okay, let's do it. And yeah. So just showing her that, um, is the utmost important, but I also realized too, that it's okay, um, to make mistakes as a mom. Oh, we're not perfect. And I found myself apologizing to my mom so many times. I'll look at her and go, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I did that to you when my daughter does it. And you know, she looks back at me and she says, it's okay. Yeah, it is okay. It is okay. Um, and giving yourself lots of grace. I know. And permission. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Lynn, you are not only mom, wife, attorney, I mean, you know, a professional <laughs> blogger and podcaster, you also, I am so impressed with your women empowerment movement, mm-hmm. your stories. You've got to follow her Lynn W Lynn L Y N N M winter as in the season on Instagram, because your stories, um, empowering, I will tell you, th- you know, I have bad days. I mean, and and it's okay to say that. And I will open your story and you make me feel better. I mean, and sometimes I tell you and sometimes I don't. I've just passed through. But your empowerment of women, your time management, your goal setting, this part of your career, um, you were the TCU Women's Network. You've done some great work with TCU on this. So tell me about that. Tell me about empowering women and, and, and time management and everything that goal setting. I mean, yeah, it's funny. Um, it's something I kind of just stumbled into because people started asking me, Lynn, you do so many things. Yes. I mean, you seem to be able to manage them really well, but you also seem to find time to pour into yourself. How do you do it all? And I was like, I don't know. I just do, but they're like, no, but really. And so I really sat down and thought about it and I was like, Oh, I really do follow some systems. And I do some certain things, um, because I want this balanced life. I don't just want to be a lawyer or a mom or a wife. I also know that you cannot pour from an empty cup. So I'm so big on, um, self-care and self-love to pour from a full cup. And so I started sharing that with other women and kind of how I did it. And it started when I went back to work in big law, when Evelyn, um, was just born and I was still needing to bill 180 to 200 hours a month. And I said, okay, I want to do that because I want to be a successful lawyer, but I want to be a successful mom. I want to still have a good marriage. What can I do? And I started researching and looking at different ways to manage my time and block my schedule and do different things. And I started incorporating all these different techniques into my life. Um, and eventually it led to a job change, um, which still comes with its own difficulties, but I continued that. And I realized that, um, part of that was scheduling and, taking care of myself was just as much as important as all these other commitments. And I started sharing that, um, with other women and other people and businesses. And, um, I didn't realize how much people didn't realize that how important that was to really think about the way, what you give your yes to, what you say no to, what you allow to take up your time. It also the importance of setting goals. Um, I started to learn to set goals when I was really young. I had this, um, journal diary, Lisa Frank, unicorns, all those things when I was little. (laughs) And I realized that, um, I was writing in it and it wasn't so much, Oh, Johnny's so cute or this, that I realized I was manifesting in it. I started writing what I wanted my life to be like from very young and I just always looked at it. This is where I'm at. Nobody else knows this, but here's what I want. And here is is what I want it to look like. And I kept that going. And I learned when I got older that I was setting goals and I was of where I wanted to be. And I was manifesting this life for myself. And I realized that that routine and, and continuously doing that and making that a part of my life is what pushed me forward and moved me forward and kept me motivated. And I have found this passion and this joy with sharing that with other women. Um, and 
and allowing them to feel empowered and inspired and to realize that it is okay to take time for yourself. It is okay to to say no to things because no is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be everything to everyone all the time and that's okay. Um, And so I've started sharing that um, with big groups. I've done it for the TCU Women's Network. I've spoken um, at Alcon. I've spoken for United Way, a couple of other different places. Um, And I've started doing some one-on-one um, time management stuff with women where I sit down with their calendars and all of their duties and say, okay, here's everything you're doing, but what can we do where your life feels more calm and more balanced and everyone shares a piece of the load so that you're able to fill from a full cup right. um, and teach people these techniques and these um, tips and tricks that I've taken into my own life. And I have just truly enjoyed being able to do that in a one-on-one setting um, because it's amazing when women, you see that light bulb go off mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've loved doing that. And it's been so much fun. Um, and so it, I, I, I hope to keep doing that. I'm not only speaking in at businesses and, and in front of groups, but also getting to do it one-on-one. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think we, as women, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, the minutia of being busy mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm definitely yeah. in my younger years and right now I am I'm so, and I, and I'm not just saying that I'm so busy like because trying to, yeah, you know what I mean? Like in, in, in it's juggling all the plates yeah, at one if, time. If we didn't have a routine and I would be out of yeah. my mind. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, I mean, I look at that in your empowerment and just, and women that are extremely successful too, right? I'm yeah. not, I mean, from how, you know, moms that stay at home moms to extremely successful. It's everybody. I think you can learn something. And once you, you kind of tell them a different way to look at things, it frees up time for them to pursue these passions. That's how I have the time to blog and podcast and teach littles, because those are the things that pour into me it's into your cup. and those fuel me to be able to do those things I have to do, which is to be a lawyer, which I love too. So it's finding, you know, the, balance between those, but it's just eliminating the overwhelm where it doesn't have to be. Right. Okay. So I, I, again, we're going to not talk about this someday, but <laughs> it's been tough with COVID. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I, and I know oh, you, yeah. you've made it very <laughs> perfectly clear. It, it has for all of us, but especially, you know, my daughter sees it. I mean, my, my daughter follows you and, mm-hmm. and you know, what an amazing, what an amazing woman to, to see to the, to the 21 year olds that see you being a career, a wife, and it, you, I don't know what we call our blogging, our sub career. Yeah. Um, and then, and then of course, you know, you're a mommy yeah. and juggling all those things. And Jason, your husband has been working out of the house yes. the entire time. Yes. You've been working full time. Yes. <laughs> you're a, a preschool teacher. Yeah. I've become, yeah. All yeah. the things. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. want to be a teacher after no. this? No. <laughs> I tell people, I'm like, there is a reason that I am not a stay at home mom or a homeschool mom. Yes. That is not my talent. Yeah. I um, mean, I'm very well aware of that. Um, it has been very humbling yes, <laughs> I'm sure. for me. Um, but yeah, it has not been easy. I've been home with my daughter um, all day, every day being wife, mom, teacher, lawyer, because my husband cannot work from home for the majority of it. Um, and we have learned to, to adapt. Are our days always pretty? No, No. not at all. Um, are there days when we are yelling at each other? Yes. And that's okay. okay, Yeah. Um, and I've tried to be really open and honest and real about it. Um, and I've totally broken down on days and then there are days I'm like, we've got pants on, you know, like winning at life. Um, and so I think, um, that it has challenged me in ways I've never been challenged before. It's challenged my daughter. It's challenged my husband. It's challenged everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've embraced it. Um, I don't think that life will ever go back to completely what we called pre COVID normal. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, because this time with my daughter, um, I've seen her, um, in a different way. And as much as we've butted heads, I wouldn't trade that for the world Absolutely, because it's time that I normally would never have, Never. but it's also time where she has seen that mommy works hard. Yeah. Um, and, and what a role model. And yeah. And I think, and she's told me that, um, and, and for me, 
that's something I would never have been able to do because it's not like I can take her to work with me every day. No. So I'll call it a win there. And um, hopefully someday, though, she's ready to go back to school. So I'm going go back to school. Yeah. So, yeah. You yeah. know, I have a friend in Austin that a uh, very dear friend and she has she was homeschooling junior high and then elementary. And, you know, the self-doubt and what are you doing and I'm, I'm, am I qualified to do this? You're not the only one. No. Everyone has self-doubt. And I'm sorry. Yes, we are perfect on Instagram and all that fun stuff, but that's not reality. God, not in the least not, bit. N- not at all. Reality is that there are emotions. There are tempers. There's insecurities. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it throughout. I don't have... I, my daughter did teach herself TCU. I yeah. mean, her junior year, her second part of her junior year. But but yeah, it, it embrace that that's not... That is not who you, you're not a stay-at-home teacher. And that's okay. It's okay. And our teachers, the amazing thing about them is they are equipped and they will meet our children where they are next year. Yes. They are, that, that is, they are prepared to do that. So they'll know that some have had a better time of it than others. And I'm, and I'm grateful for those men and women that take on that task of teaching. Oh, thank um, you. Praise be because it's not me. Um, and they will, they'll meet them where they are and that's, that's okay. okay. Well, I want you all to know that my friend Lynn Winter, I asked her, right. it was right before COVID. I was on the way to Mexico yes. yeah, with the girls for <laughs> no. spring break. And I said, hey, will you come on the podcast? Sure. Oh, we talked. Yeah, we did. We did. And we're like, yes, we'll do it. And then COVID happened. That's And then three months later, you and I did reconnect. Uh-huh. And um, I want to say, I'm thank you so much because this woman walked up the stairs in the studio today. <laughs> On a conference call, well, she texted me for, well, she was, I knew I she was, was not driving when I texted text her to yeah, tell yeah, her we yeah, were yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. Let me make, let me, let me yeah. rephrase that. She's walking upstairs. She's still on a conference call. She has precious Evelyn <laughs> with her dragon or her baby doll and her iPad. Yes. And Paul is taking an Evelyn in the booth. And yeah. we talk about a power woman. <laughs> Walking here with the heels on and just did just so well. But I can't thank you enough. And our lives no. are so parallel. I, know. I I love you and I just cannot tell you how much I appreciate you speaking today and what you've done in your transparency. I just can't thank tell you. you. Thank, thank you. you for allowing me to come here and talk. Yes. And I'm so glad we've been able to connect and see those parallels. And yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm blessed by New it. appreciation for each other, yes, right? It is. Absolutely. Well, okay. Life in Motion is your podcast mm-hmm. and you can find that on Apple. You can find it anywhere that, yeah, podcasts are done. Yes. And new episodes come out. Right now we're on every other Wednesday because hello, balance. But yes. yeah. See, she listens to her own words. Do. Right? She does listen to her own advice. And it's uh, your website is lynnmwinter.com yep. and the same thing on Instagram. Yep. And everyone, please go and listen and embrace this fabulous woman. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening today and watching us. Hey, go to YouTube, everyone. Do me a favor. We got to get up there and do this for both. Both of us, okay? Yes, yes. go, yes. like, subscribe. Oh gosh, like, subscribe, <laughs> do all that fun stuff and, and rate and review and especially this one. And let us know, those of you that are listening today, let us know if you have some parallels and everyone be safe, be happy and be fabulous. 